Welcome to the Ashley T. Lee Podcast, and here is Ashley. Thanks for joining me. Today we'll go through Matthew 27, where Jesus is bound and delivered to Pontius Pilate, the governor, and Herod, where he was tried and then mocked by the governor's soldiers. Interesting point. Matthew didn't cover trials with Herod, only Pilate. Why? Because Matthew wanted to point out the sadness of Judas more than the time with Herod. You see, after watching Jesus sentenced and heading to the cross, Judas was bitterly upset. Not to the point of Peter's remorse that brought repentance, but Judas merely felt remorse. This remorse, sadly, was not enough to repent and change, so Judas committed suicide in the field of blood. Meanwhile, in the trials of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders had completed their role of trapping Jesus, so now he needed to be sent on to the Roman rulers for judgment. Once Jesus was before Pilate, the sad part was that the Jews chose a common criminal, Barabbas, to set free instead of this innocent Jesus. Then Jesus was continually mocked as he headed to the cross. As we go through the details, you'll see the prophecy from Old Testament being fulfilled. This is a beautiful truth of the Bible. It's alive and breathing, which becomes evident as the prophecy unfolds. The chances of hundreds of prophecies being fulfilled by one man like Jesus is literally impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's go through sections to make the last hours of Jesus' life more clear. 1. Judas's Remorse After Jesus was delivered to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, Judas Iscariot had a time of remorse about what he did to trap the Messiah. Why do you think Judas betrayed Jesus in the first place? Well, obviously, Judas hoped to gain a position of prestige, power, and, of course, prosperity following Jesus. I mean, Judas stood by Jesus' side, and Jesus must have trusted him enough to handle the money like he did. I'm sure Judas was gravely disappointed, though, when he realized that Jesus didn't start a worldly materialistic kingdom like he hoped. That's what it would take for Judas to inherit such a prominent position in the kingdom of God. Or at least he thought. The fact that Jesus failed in Judas's mind to set up a worldly kingdom could have driven his decision to sell Jesus to the Jewish authorities. False Jewish authorities at that. But what do you think drove Judas to be remorseful? Well, think about this. When Judas finally sold Jesus over to the authorities, in the back of his mind, he never expected Jesus to be convicted. He had seen Jesus in trouble before, and always the Messiah slipped away or escaped being arrested, so, so Judas might have assumed this would be the same. In his mind, that made it semi-okay to turn Jesus over to the false Jewish leaders. But Judas didn't seem to know about prophecy. He might have known the Old Testament, but probably didn't associate all of these happenings with what the prophets had said. So when Judas finally saw Jesus taken by the authorities, not escaping or putting up a fight, it must have hit him that he was responsible for Jesus being crucified. That's when the remorse of Judas actually set in. Think for a minute of the difference between Peter's repentant heart and Judas's remorseful heart. Peter went to God in prayer and sorrow, according to Matthew 26, 75. It says, Peter went out and wept bitterly, but Judas went to a worldly priest, a false priest. Judas went to confess his crime to a priest, but got no sympathy. Then he went and hanged himself. Let's look at Matthew 27, 3 to see what happened. 
Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. You know, it's pretty sad to see the reaction of the priests, right? They were so cynical, saying, What is that to us? Or in today's terms, It's all on you and not us. We are innocent, even though we paid you money. Jesus' blood is on the Romans and not us. No forgiveness was in store from the pagan priests, just self-defense of their own skins. You see, at that time in Jewish history, Jewish authorities wanted to make sure someone else's blood was not on their heads. They were afraid to convict Jesus to death in case he was God's anointed king, so they transferred the blame to the Roman officials. Nobody realized that all these happenings were fulfillment of the words of Jeremiah written in Zechariah 11, 12-13, that say, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So the priests who refused Judas with callous, heartless words and bought the potter's field were fulfilling prophecy without even realizing. God's perfect will and plan will always trump man's manipulations and self-defense. So why did Matthew leave out Herod's trial and cover Judas' story? Why would that benefit the Jews who Matthew was writing to? Well, the Jews needed to see that Jesus was the Messiah and that every move he made and every step taken was prophetic. The Jews in the future who read Matthew will be impacted to see the miraculous truths of God's true word in its entirety with the New Testament included. Specifically how the Old Testament was completely fulfilled in the actions and words surrounding Jesus' ministry and crucifixion. Like I keep saying, during the Great Tribulation, there will be multitudes of Jews reading Matthew, I believe. Once the believers are raptured, the Jews will be scrambling to learn and understand the truth of the rejected Messiah, and Matthew might be their main source. 2. Sentencing of Jesus by Pilate Now that Matthew cleared up the details of the Old Testament being fulfilled, it was time to continue with the sentencing of Jesus to death. How did this happen? Did Jesus put up a fight like most prisoners? Did he strike them dead like only Jesus could do? No, Jesus was silent and didn't make a move. He innocently endured beatings and mocking for the glory of God. Now for Pilate, what kind of man was he? Some think that Pilate might have been a slave, now elevated since he married a woman related to Caesar. But Pilate never seemed to be popular even among his close friends. He was a cold, hard man, quite brutal in most of his actions. 
Pilate was concerned about the Jews because there had been some occurrences where he got in trouble with them. The Jews had tempers and were tough, so Pilate didn't want to disturb them enough to cause riots in Jerusalem. Pilate was happy as long as the Jews were happy, so he created a solution. He would offer release of a prisoner to the Jews, of course figuring that Jesus wouldn't be their choice. He said, here is Barabbas, a common criminal, and here's Jesus. Which one do you want convicted and crucified? You see, it was not in Jewish hands anymore since they took it to the Romans, but Pilate still wanted to extend it to them to make the decision. The Sanhedrin were originally hoping Pilate would hand Jesus over to them so that they could do the normal death sentencing of the Jews, stone him to death. But that didn't happen. Do you know why? Because God prophesied it. So in Psalm 22, it says, They pierced my hands and feet. Interesting that this prophecy was from David, a Jewish shepherd boy who knew nothing about crucifixion. Wonder if David ever thought, why did I write that and what does it even mean? Piercing hands and feet? Let's look at Matthew 27:11 to see what unfolded. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas! Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You know, it seemed obvious that Pilate wanted to try Jesus himself, since the blasphemy charge the Jews had against Jesus didn't hold much weight in Pilate's Roman courtroom. But then the Jews changed the charge to treason. The Jews, with the coaxing of the priests, rabbis, and Sanhedrin system, literally despised Jesus Christ their Savior. But this was prophetic. Isaiah 53.3 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Then on top of that, the Jews were claiming that they had no king but Caesar. 
since Jesus said he was the king of the Jews. In John 19.15, they said, We have no king but Caesar. And then Pilate asked Jesus in Matthew 27.11, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' masterful answer was, It is as you say. This was also prophetic that Jesus be the king of the Jews because Jerusalem was the center of the world. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Wow, this prophecy from Isaiah describes exactly what the Jews needed to be convinced that Jesus was their Savior and Messiah. But they were blinded. And then when Pilate was talking to Jesus, he was all beaten up and battered with whips which is prophesied in Isaiah 53, saying, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Due to this battering, Jesus didn't look the part of a king, but Pilate knew something was special about him. Pilate even said, I wash my hands of the blood of this just man. His wife had been haunted with dreams about Jesus' innocence also. So when Pilate said he washed his hands of Jesus, the Jews gladly took the blame. They exclaimed to him, His blood be on us and our children. But you will notice later in the book of Acts, the Jews don't want to claim Jesus' blood when the disciples preach to them. This chaotic saga with Jesus' death keeps going. 3. Soldiers mock and scourge Jesus. Next, Pilate's soldiers began messing with Jesus. Matthew 27:32 begins. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Think for a minute. Have you ever been surrounded by a bunch of bullies ridiculing you? Once when I was in the fifth grade, there was a girl in my class who was jealous of me because her best friend's older sister was dating my brother. Because of that, her best friend hung out at my house all the time because she was there seeing her sister. We love being around all the older sibling crowd because they were cool. Well, this old friend of hers decided to trick me and mock me, so to say. She came up to me on the playground with some of our friends, all watching to see the play-by-play -play of the lie. She told me that she was going to invite me on one of her family vacations. It would be in another state with her and her family. Of course, I was very excited about it. But little did I know she was mocking me and trying to turn all the others against me. It's not a good feeling to be a victim of mocking. And to be honest, I can still remember the exact words and the moments of that encounter in my mind. It makes me feel more for Jesus while he experienced this harsh, unwarranted treatment.
Even Pilate would have never treated Jesus the way these soldiers did. We have to contemplate why this happened. Well, Psalm 22:16, the prophecy tells us, For the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. These soldiers had no idea that they were fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Looking at Old Testament prophetic scripture to see why this unnerving thing happened to our Savior is the only way we can sleep at night knowing how harsh he was treated. Let's look at the details of his treatment. First of all, he had been passed around between Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate. He was scourged earlier by an instrument made of thongs loaded at the tips with pieces of bone or metal. At the first blow, the blood gushes, and then the skin on the back tears off in ribbons. Sometimes it's so bad that the organs are exposed and lacerated. Many of the scourging victims were known to die, but not Jesus. He must have been in excellent shape to withstand the scourging, and now there was more brutality. The main focus of Matthew was Jesus being ridiculed for his claim of being king of the Jews. The soldiers put royal robes on him like a king would have and threw a scarlet mantle over his bleeding, lacerated shoulders, probably causing agonizing pain. Then they placed a crown of thorns on his head, crying out, Hail, King of the Jews! You know, this crown of thorns was actually perfect for Jesus. Why? Because thorns are a symbol of the curse in Genesis 3, 17-18. Here's what it says. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. This prophecy was actually good news because we are all under this curse. But Jesus bore that curse for us, and that curse would be removed. That's why Psalm says that our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Jesus removed it by taking away our curse of sin. Think also of this good news. Not only was the curse of sin removed, but the nature of sin itself was removed. Romans 8, 19-22 describes this. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So the point is, we groan for our freedom in Christ, which will deliver us to a new body like Jesus. That new body and freedom from this cursed world we live in is only possible through the suffering and death of Christ on the cross. This sad, gory story of Christ dying on the cross is good news, not sadness. We must remember what he did to save us from sin and death. How about you? Do you lovingly remember what Jesus did for us? Or do you get caught up in the cares of this world? If you get caught up in the cares of this world, please go listen to the first six podcasts on my book, Dealing with Stress. It really helps to keep stress in perspective. If you go back to the beginning, you'll see episode one, and that's the first six podcasts. The name of the book is Lean on God's Understanding, How to Have a Stress-Free Life. So let's go on to see Jesus heading for the cross. Four. 
heading to the cross at Calvary. Now that Jesus was mocked at the Praetorium, or the common place, they call it, it was now time to carry his cross to Golgotha. As beaten and battered as Jesus was, his physical strength finally gave out, so they called a man in the crowd to carry his cross for him. This man was Simon, who was from the city of Cyrene in North Africa. Simon had a Jewish name which indicated that he was Jewish. It appears that the Cyrenian Jews had several synagogues in Jerusalem, according to Acts 2 and 6. And after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was delivered to start the church, there was news of Cyrenian Jews actively spreading the gospel message. Acts 11 and 13 specifically talk about that. Simon and his sons Rufus and Alexander were referred to also in Romans 16. So think about this. Simon had never met Jesus, so most likely he didn't know that much about him. This encounter carrying the cross of the Savior of the world would have changed Simon to the point that he wanted to shout on the rooftops the gospel message. When Simon was first asked to carry the cross, he was most likely shrinking down with shame and embarrassment since most of the Jews were sneering at Jesus like a common thief. But as he went beside the Messiah, the Savior and the Creator of the world, Simon must have been changed. We can verify that by looking in Acts and Romans, like I said, and seeing that his family became Christians and shared the gospel message. Here's the Matthew account of these happenings. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is the king of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Let's take a minute to highlight some of the things in this passage. One is that Matthew called the place of crucifixion Golgotha. This was the Hebrew word meaning the place of the skull. This was the place where people were killed regularly. So Jesus joined the bottom rung of the despicable behavior of the worst of sinners. You see, that had to happen for Jesus to take all the sin of the world. He took it all. Not just menial sin, but the deepest, darkest sins. Then the Roman soldiers gave him vinegar or sour wine mingled with gall, which was prophesied in Psalm 69:20, saying, I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This gall mixed with sour wine was designed to drug the criminals, but Jesus wouldn't have that. 
He wanted to have every nerve in his body awake to endure the worst of the pain we would experience if we had to take his place and pay for our own sin. You know, that just blows my mind to think about. Then to think of all that Jesus endured during the actual crucifixion is mind-boggling. Matthew didn't cover much of the actual crucifixion, so let me describe what actually happened when someone was crucified. First, the beam of the cross was upright and was planted into the ground. The victim would be at least two feet above the ground, and then the inscription had room at the top above their head. The crossbeam was laid on the ground, and they threw the victim down on the ground. Can you imagine how much pain a throw to the ground would have been for Jesus with all those organs and raw skin exposed? Then they would stretch out their arms to tie the piece of wood or nail to their hands. Next, they would haul them up with ropes and tie or nail the crossbeam to the other one that was standing already. Once they were hauled up, the feet were placed and nailed to the upright beam. Now came the point where the victim was left to die by blood loss or exhaustion. Crucifixion was the most painful and slow death possible. It took days for them to actually die. The victim would end up cramping, agonizing thirst would set in, hands and feet were wounded, and the bloodstream probably wanted to blow up. Think about it. Jesus endured all this for you and me. Another detail that Matthew made sure to cover was that the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' clothes. You see, that's how they got paid for their work, gathering the clothes of the criminals being crucified. In order to divide the garments equally, the soldiers would cast lots, which was prophesied in Psalm 22:18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Isn't it amazing how the Old Testament covered all the details of the death of Christ on the cross? Think of the Jews who Matthew was writing to. They should have known and recognized all this prophecy, but it seems they were blinded by power and greed. Jesus being the Messiah just didn't fit the God they had made up in their own minds. But one day they will recognize him, and every knee will bow to the Savior of the world. How about you? Have you recognized Jesus as Messiah? Have you bent your knee to him? If not, go around the Bible to see the miraculous prophecies that give absolute proof of Jesus' love for us, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Next week, we'll cover more of the death, burial, and the resurrection to see the victory in all of Jesus' agony. See you then. Thank you for joining us for the Ashley T. Lee Podcast. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. And to find out more about Ashley, go to ashleytlee.com. If you would like to help or contribute to Ashley T. Lee Ministries, click on contact at ashleytlee.com.